first passage comes from the book of Joshua, chapter 1, verse 1 to 6. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses ate. Moses, my servant, is, uh, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to, ne- to Lebanon and from the great river to Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the great sea and to rest. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. And then in chapter 3, verses 1 to 9. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they, they camped before crossing the river. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of Covenant of the Lord your God, and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your position and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. May our God bless the reading of this word. Now we pass the time to Pastor Gilbert. And if I could also ask uh, Steve and uh, Melanie to join me here this morning as, as we together do this commissioning of Melanie and sending her off. And uh, so, you all all know Melanie and Steve was with us uh, sharing from God's Word a a few weeks ago, but Steve is the regional director for OMF, the organization that Melanie is being sent off with. And so, uh, it's sort of the three of us uh, together here leading in this commissioning. And we've come here to send off or sort of send out uh, Melanie, one of our own, to serve God overseas. She's been a faithful servant here in Vancouver at VCBC, but uh, uh, for for her whole life. And now we have this this joyful opportunity to send her out. At the same time, it's as, a, as it is a joyful opportunity. It's also a sad one because she's she's leaving us. So we come to this event with with mixed emotions. And, uh, you know, this is not something that's new to the church, this, this sending out. Uh, we see this happening 
very early on in the book of Acts, for example, uh, there was was supposed to be a a sending and and a a going, if you will, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But they don't do that. In Acts chapter 8, verse 1, we see it says, on, the, on that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. That's the first sort of going that we see. It's ascending, uh, but not really ascending because it's the persecution that, uh, uh, that comes. But that going out is something that we see in the, in the church. And so we are following in the footsteps, in the pattern that was uh, set very early on in the church. We do see in Acts chapter 13 verses, verses 2 and 3 uh, the sending though. And it says, while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The church gathered around, prayed for them laid their hands on and sent them off. And that's what we're going to be doing just in a few minutes later today. And then we see how this unfolds in Acts chapter 14, verse 27. It says that, uh, uh, that, they, uh, that Paul came back and it says, on arriving there, they gathered the church together. On arriving there back in Antioch, on, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how He had opened a door of of faith to the Gentiles. So we see this this receiving them back to hear that report of what God had done after they had sent them out. But then they get sent out again in Acts chapter 15. Uh, Paul and Silas, amidst a bit of a turmoil, they get sent off again. And it says um, uh, that they, they had a, a bit of a disagreement. And it says, but Paul chose Silas and left. But they were commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. And then it says he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So again, the church gathered and sent them off, even in the midst of kind of a disagreement about what was going on and who was going to go. uh, They were commended by the believers. So what we're participating in today, what we're doing is a very biblical thing. Uh, And this is. This is what we're going to be doing just in a, in a few minutes. We're here today to send off Melanie with our commitment to pray and support and give her, however, give to to her and support her in 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 whatever ways we can. She's one of us, and now we get this wonderful uh, blessing of an opportunity to send her off to to say to uh, to the church, to the people in the Philippines, here's one of us. Uh, and we, we, we love you. We want to bless you with one of our servants. And we're going to bless you to have her serve there. And so this is, uh, this is an exciting day. And it's a wonderful privilege that we have to do this. It doesn't really happen uh, that very often. And so it's a privilege. It's a, it's a wonderful day today that we get to do this. Melanie is one of us. And we get to commission her and send her off. And maybe some of you here are feeling that same sort of nudge. Embrace that and lean into that. And maybe one day soon we will have the same sort of commissioning service for you 
as we send You off into the field as well. Uh, Thank you, Pastor Gilbert. And good morning to all. My family and I have visited BCBC very often, and I've often remarked on how much we in OMF appreciate the long partnership that we've had with your church. And that's true for us as an organization and personally for us as a family. So it's a very special privilege for me to be able to share today in this commissioning service for Melanie. This process of discerning God's will, of working out the location and kind of ministry, of the application, forms and approvals, building a prayer and financial support team, and of seeing all of these things finally come together, it's an amazing process. So even before the field ministry starts, this is a major milestone, and it's worth celebrating. I've been asked to share about the role and responsibility of you as a church in supporting Melanie as she goes to the Philippines. Now, OMF has always been very clear that the local church is the sending body for every one of our missionaries. That's the biblical model, so it's right that we talk to about your role as a church. But first, for a moment, I want to share about our role, and I want to offer a special word for Melanie. Without boasting, but also without claiming that we're perfect, I can affirm that OMF is a great organization. One reason that I can say this is because we've never swayed from our central mission, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ in all its fullness. But another reason is because in OMF we take care of our people. I've seen this as we've celebrated the arrival of babies, as we've nurtured workers through the fragile process of cultural adaptation, as we've responded to emergencies with urgency and compassion, and as we've worked through the details of how to ensure that our retirees are cared for and provided for. And as we enter this partnership with Melanie, be assured that we'll take care of her too, on the field, here at home, wherever she may be. That's my word for you as a church. And I can say this because one of OMS core values is that we are a fellowship, not a company, not an organization, but a fellowship bound together as a particular expression of God's people. When my own field celebrated its 10th anniversary in 2016, we asked our members to share three words that described what the field was like for them. And by far the most frequent word that came up was family. So my word for Melanie today, Melanie, welcome to the family. In looking at the role of the church in a missionary's ministry, I can find no better model than the one in Paul's letter to the Philippians. Paul was writing from prison, but despite the hard circumstances, his letter is overflowing with thanksgiving and joy and encouragement. Clearly, this is because of his relationship with Christ. But equally clearly, it's because of the support and special relationship he has with the Philippian church. Early on, he says, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He calls this church missionary relationship a partnership in the gospel. Now, what kind of a partnership is it? A couple of weeks ago, I was talking to a pastor of an Asian church that has planted a dozen or so churches here in Canada. 
And he described the model of their outreach in a very simple but effective way. Pray, care, and share. Now, he was talking about outreach. As we pray for people and care for them in practical ways, God opens the door for us to share the gospel with them. But as I was reading through Philippians, I saw the pray, care, share also very neatly describes the the dynamic between Paul and the church in Philippi. But here in these activities, they they work together in a different way because it's a partnership rather than an outreach. Paul himself prays for the Philippines. Philippians. He encourages them to pray and brings their requests to God. In chapter 1, verse 19, he prays that their love may abound more. But in the same breath, he acknowledges their prayer for him. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Nothing that you can do for Melanie can be more powerful and pervasive than prayer. Prayer works long distance. And prayer works 24-7. Just yesterday, we participated in a celebration event for a couple who served more than 40 years in Thailand, Singapore, and North America. And of their many stories, there was one in which they told of how a prayers and a friend in Canada held them up in a time of sustained tension and danger. My wife and I were always so encouraged to hear that our prayers, our partners here had been praying for us there in Indonesia. And as we learned of their prayers and looked back, we could see God working. Whatever you do, please pray for Melanie. We all experience trials in life, but missionaries face unique challenges and especially need your prayers. And pray for opportunities. Paul's prayer to the church at Colossae is a wonderful example of how to advance the gospel. Pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. And now Paul prayed for the church, and the church prayed for Paul because they cared for one another. The church's expressions of care are embodied in the person of Epaphroditus, who was sent out from the church to carry care for Paul's needs, and who served Paul at great personal cost. Paul writes, Welcome him back in the Lord with great joy, and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Now, I hope that if any of you should visit Melanie in the Philippines, you don't have to risk your life and almost die. But there's a lot that you can do to bless her and strengthen her in practical ways. Stay in touch. Missionaries write letters and report what they're doing and what God is doing. Make it a two-way conversation. If you read about a challenging situation, send her an encouraging note. Ask her how she's doing. Let her know that you're there for her. Maybe you will be able to visit the Philippines. We were always delighted to receive visitors. Visitors from anywhere were good. Visitors from Canada were better. People we knew from our own churches were best. And missionaries, in many ways, live a double life. We've got possessions in two countries, commitments in two countries, bills to pay in two countries, official papers in two countries, letters and packages to send in two countries. Maybe you can help with some of the admin, sending, posting, lifting, meeting, representing, and transitioning in practical ways. In the missions community, we have a special term for attending to the workers' holistic needs, member care. 
you can and should do member care too because no matter where she's located, Melanie is still a, matter, a member of your community, the local church here at BCBC. And the third word that can help you understand how to support Melanie is share. Paul was a tent maker and worked hard to support himself even though as a servant of Christ it was wholly appropriate for him to be supported by others. But now he was in prison and clearly from the picture that we get in his letter to the Philippians, he was in distress and need. The church responded by giving and through Epaphroditus they provided what was perhaps a combination of financial help and attention to his other personal needs. He expresses his appreciation over and over for these gifts, including in the passage from chapter 4. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Missionaries engage in spiritual work, but they need material help in order to do so. The Philippians responded to Paul's need, and Paul acknowledged their gifts as an offering to God. And the interesting thing is that Paul's also confident that God would provide for their needs. Perhaps some of them gave sacrificially. The Lord honors the sacrificial giver, and he will not leave us destitute if we're generous to God. There's two reasons that I think why I think you'll understand this. First, you've already supported Melanie. Before we receive workers in Asia, OMF ensures that sufficient financial support is in place. Melanie's ready to go thanks to your support. Second, Chinese people are practical people, something I learned immediately after my wedding when Ellie and I opened the Angpao. All those little red envelopes added up to a big help with our expenses. When an Indonesian work colleague suffered a stroke and brain hemorrhage, many friends came to the family's side to pray and to ask how he was doing. Our Chinese board member asked, who's going to pay for the hospital bills? So I think the main thing to be said here is don't forget what you already know. OMF policy is we don't ask people for money. and Melanie won't do that. But she will answer questions when you ask how she's doing with her financial support. So pray, care, share. Three words that describe the warm and intimate relationship between Paul and the Philippian church. And I'm sure that these three words will also be used to describe the relationship between Melanie and BCBC. And to close, I'll leave you with one final word, the word that rings out from the beginning of Paul's letter to the end. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Today is the time to celebrate, so let's rejoice. And rejoice for Melanie always through the many years to come. Thank you. God bless you, Melanie. God bless BCBC. Not my portion, but the whole thing seems long. <laughs> what seems impossible in your life? 
Is it the mending of a broken relationship? Physical or mental healing for someone you love? Peace in your family, your workplace, or your own heart? Joshua faced a situation that seemed impossible to overcome. Moses, who had led the Israelites out of slavery and through the desert for 40 years, was now dead. And Joshua's task was to become the new leader and to bring over two million people into the land that God had promised them. The first step was to cross the Jordan River. The Jordan River is usually 100 feet wide and three feet deep. At flood stage, though, when they were crossing, the river may have been more than over a half mile wide, very deep and very fast, fast enough to sweep away all the people. We know Joshua was afraid and overwhelmed because God tells him three times in the chapter, be bold and be courageous. In 2012, I was returning from a short-term mission in Changsha, China. My heart and my mind were full of the things that I had seen, the needs of the children, the statistics of 40 children abandoned per day in Changsha. It's on this plane ride that God said to me, I call you to full-time service, but come home. You have much to learn. There are no details about where I would go or what I'd be doing or when. What followed was the time of learning to walk closer with God in difficult circumstances, wondering, what had, um, wondering if God had really called me and if the impossible could really happen. And now, seven years later, I've left my job, and I'll be starting a missions term in the Philippines next week. I'll be serving with OMF, as you've heard, and it'll be in the slums of Manila. It feels like there's a lot of impossible things to overcome. Adjusting to the living conditions, it's hot, it's polluted, there's open sewage, rats, cockroaches. And then staying healthy amidst the risk of tropical diseases when I have an autoimmune disease. Staying safe when there's many people being killed by the Filipino president because of the drug crackdown. Trusting God to provide for me when I've quit my job. Leaving my family as they struggle with the effects of my sister's brain hemorrhage. During the years of waiting on God, God used these passages that we read today to encourage me. He's reminded me of these promises again as I'm about to leave. He's reminded me, oh, there's the Psalms of Manila. He's reminded me that he is the one who will make things happen. The passage says, I am about to. I will give you. I will be with you as I promise. It's God who accomplishes all things, not me. He'll never forsake me. It means God's power, his love, his strength. All that he can do is with me. Hudson Taylor, the founder of OMF, said, Jesus is our strength. And what we cannot do and cannot bear, he can both do and bear in us. His promises for us are certain. He says to Joshua, you will lead these people into the land. No one will be able to stand up against you. Second Corinthians 1.20 says, All of God's promises are yes in Christ. And the reality of this really struck me one day. I thought about it. You know, the Bible is full of God's promises, and every single one is a gift to me. Imagine if somebody gave you a catalog full of valuable things, and they said you could have anything you flip to. Wouldn't you flip through all the pages and claim everything for your own? I felt like opening the Bible to all these random pages and saying, I'll take this one and this one and this one. 
But God's promises, they are so good. He offers things that last forever, things that no one else can. Unconditional love, peace, no matter what the circumstances are, joy. What is God calling you to do? Maybe you're not sure. Just look in his word. It's to forgive those who have wronged you, to love the classmate that nobody likes, to choose honesty and humility, to trust those, trust him in the midst of pain. And what promise in God's word will you claim to overcome your fears or reluctance to complete the task he has asked of you? His presence will bring you the strength and the courage you need to face any circumstance you encounter. In 2015, I found myself on a short-term mission in Manila. I was still wondering what God was calling me to do. All these years, when I had asked God for more details, he had said, wait. And one evening, I met a missionary at the OMF Center. He asked me, what would it take for you to make a decision to move forward in serving God full-time? And he talked about this story, this story of Joshua and the Israelites crossing the river. Unlike the crossing of the Red Sea, where all the people, they saw the waters part before they walked through the water. This time, God asked them to step into the river before it parted. In the same way, we must step forward in obedience, trusting that God will open the way even when we don't have all the details, even when we don't understand everything. The Israelites couldn't see the water that was piled up far away. They had to trust that the water wouldn't come crashing down on them. They had to trust that the ground was dry, as God had promised, so that their carts and animals wouldn't get stuck. That God would protect them from any enemy attacks as they crossed. God demonstrated his power to his people so that they could trust him in the future challenges that they would face. Will you remember how God has helped you and worked in your life and the lives of other people so that you can depend on his power in the future? You say, maybe, yeah, I do want to see God overcome impossible things in my life. But what do I do? Joshua 1-2 says, now then, you and all these people get ready. Getting ready for what God has in store for us involves our choice and his work. Joshua 3-5 says, consecrate yourself. For tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Consecrate means to dedicate someone or something exclusively to a higher purpose. Consecrate oneself. Give your time and attention to something. It requires devotion, and it requires God's help. You can't do it alone. Joshua 3.9 says, Come and listen to the words of God. When's the last time you were quiet for long enough to hear what God was saying to you through scripture or through prayer? And then we are to look for God's direction. Joshua 3.3 says, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, you're to move out from your positions and follow it. And later in the chapter, Joshua 3.11 says, Look, the Ark of the Covenant will lead you across the Jordan. The Ark represented God's presence. We're only to take action when God leads us to and involves being aware of his presence and his work and waiting for his instruction. So what are you waiting for? What are you looking for? Who or what determines what you do and where you go? Imagine if the Israelites did not follow the ark. Imagine if they said, I think we'll walk along the river instead. Or maybe we'll try to cross it further downstream. They would have never gotten across. Maybe they would have drowned. 
You know, we drown under the pressure of life when we don't follow God. I want the promise of Joshua 3, 4 when I go to Manila. It says, then you will know which way to go since you've never been this way before. I know only God's presence will guide me through the uncertainty of life. When I was in Manila in um, 2015, I met a college student named John Marie. And he said I could share his testimony with you. This is what he says. Before, I thought that human life was useless and meaningless. When my father became sick, I was so tired of trying to make up or find something that would give me a reason to live. I was so wearied, so burdened. We needed money to buy medicine, and my mom needed to stay in the hospital to take care of my father. I didn't want to go to school because I didn't have a deeper reason to study. I went to the mall. I went to my friend's computer store, anywhere, just to make myself happy. I would go with my classmates and get drunk and steal in the supermarket. My parents thought my grades were good, but when they saw my grades slip, I had a lot of missed school and failed grades. They asked me why I didn't want to go to school, and I couldn't tell them the reason why. My dad hurt me. He punched me and he kicked me because I didn't listen to him. But the emptiness and the brokenness inside my heart was more painful than what he did to me physically. After graduation, my mom asked me if I wanted to go with her to a Christian youth camp, and I accepted her invitation. But before the camp, I went to a party, and I drank alcohol. I said to myself that this would be the last time I would drink. After the party, there was a guy who tried to attack me and my friend with an ice pick. The guy didn't hit me, but my friend was wounded, so we brought him to the hospital. And it was at that time I realized God had protected me. I attended a youth camp with all my heart, and God used those people in that ministry to help me know Christ. And now I understand that God loves me, that he died for me, that he has a purpose for my life. In April 2012, I accepted Jesus as my personal Savior. Do you and I understand what John Marie understands? That God loves us and has a purpose for our lives? After many years of suffering and hardship, the Israelites are about to receive what God has promised them, what he promised them so long ago, a place of belonging, a time of rest, of peace. They stand at the edge of something amazing. They were here before, 40 years prior. But they refused to trust God. They they refused to trust that what he promised would be true for them. And it led to years of hardship and wandering. Each of us stand at, some, at the edge of something amazing. Like John Marie, we can know a life of freedom and of purpose. Maybe you've been here before, too. You've heard God's word other times. You've been invited to believe that he can do amazing things for you. You've been invited to step of, take a step of faith and of obedience. But perhaps, like the Israelites, You feel following God is too scary, too hard, or maybe it'll just interrupt your life too much. But you know, going our own way only results in a life of hardship and wandering. Nobody is too young, too old, too weak, too strong, too inadequate, too far fallen to be excluded from God's amazing plan. So what areas of your life is God calling you to fully give him so that he can do amazing things through you and around you. Because of God, we can be very bold and very courageous. He's calling each of us today.
He says, come, take time to listen. Come, look at what I'm doing. Come, be a part of something amazing. 